0: Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. With us today, we have Master Disaster, Josh45.
1: Got my Zlatan Kung Fu shirt on. Got my ice cold white claw. And we got Captain running around like a maniac. (laughs) <laughs> All I'm missing is my blackjack chewing gum. <laughs>
0: and then I have CBS, which would be me. Uh, see, today we're doing episode number 128. Right. This would be close to a Thanksgiving-timed episode, I guess. So I guess it'll be a Thanksgiving edition. I mean, one of the books kind of references it, so kind of. But. Release wise, this will be around that time, I guess. Um, see, today we're doing epis- or doing issues. Gwynpool Strikes Back, number three. Uh, the Green Lantern Dark Stars, number one. The Grant Morrison. Uh, true. Then we're doing Crow- Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, number one, from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, that will be followed up by Annihilation Scourge, number one. That's from Marvel. And then we're wrapping up with uh, DC or is DC's Harley Quinn, number 67, as a thing about books. I guess we can do a little bit of news. Um, Josh, what do you know about the news?
1: I got a tidbit of news for you. <clears throat> a uh, a near-mint copy of Marvel Comics, number one, was found and sold for $1.26 million dollars.
0: That's crazy. I mean, yeah, it's cool it was in that good of shape. There's still no uh, Detective 28, but okay. That's impressive.
1: As something that's that old. No, it's cool. How has it stayed in such pristine condition for so many years?
0: I mean, that's, yeah, that's a good question. And that's the whole, whole point of it, is the shape that it was in. But yeah, as a thing, that's crazy.
1: I mean, humidity, temperature, pressure. I mean, the millions sun. Well, I mean, if let's say it was locked in a trunk. Right. Even, like, in a trunk.
0: Yeah, it still would be affected by the weather conditions and things. Pressed thing.
1: between two hard books to keep it, like, flat and even. Like, if the temperature changed or the humidity is altered and it gets, you know, the, the ink could have, st- like, if it's between two things and pl- it was in plastic, the plastic it stuck stick to the ink. It, there's just oh, so yeah. many things that could be...
0: Oh, no, it's definitely impressive. I mean, as far as, like, older, even old bags and boards, even if it's bagged and boarded, like, that stuff in that time frame used acid in the boards and in the bags, like, and that caused damage, too. So, yeah, and it's impressive that it stayed the way it is. I mean, that's crazy.
1: Um, Justice Society of America will appear in the Black Adam movie.
0: Well, that's cool. I wonder if we're going to get a Power Girl. <clears throat> I don't know. It's probably more likely than going get classic characters. That's cool, though.
1: Alan Moore plans to end his years of anarchist living and vote in the next, this next year's election for the first (laughs) time in 40 years. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I was like, all right. See, this, this week and last week's news, it'd been a few weeks before that even. And if anybody listening, my goal is to number one, be on the show longer than anybody else besides you. Is my
0: ultimate goal. You're going to have a minute to go, but go on.
1: Well, like, mostly for selfish reasons. Number two, um, I'm trying to get you to do more episodes and get you, like, functioning and, like, get these out. And, like, it also gets me to read books that I don't normally read. Because if, like, I'm not going to walk into the comic store and pick up Gwenpool number three. I'm just not going to. It's not my jam. I have too much going on. But as we get into it, I mean, it was a fun book, but... Yes, I have all, all selfish reasons.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that why that's why Alan Moore's going to vote also. I'm sure there's something he gets... I'm sure. As the Dark Lord, I'm sure there's some incantation that, wizardry-wise, he has to vote in order to make it happen. So I guess we'll see something crazy happens after that. I mean, it's a pretty big trade-off to straight up move out of the middle of nowhere and participate in functional society.
1: Well, I think it probably has something to do with the whole Brexit thing that's going on, but a bunch of horrible things over in the UK, pretty sure that's what it has to do with. Oh. Uh, huh? Because he's not American.
0: No. So. Him and Grant are neither one of them. But right. they're competing wizards, though, I, I don't think Grant's ever shied away from the... Do they really compete with one another, though? I mean, it depends on if you... I, you know, I'm going to say they probably would say they don't, but I'm pretty sure they really do. Hmm. You know what I mean? Pretty sure.
1: Well, then I just can't can't read my writing, so I'm trying to look back in the news. Okay, Carmen Cárnero, she was the artist of Captain Marvel for the last eleven issues. Um, in the in issue eleven, she pens a goodbye letter, but it um says to stick around and keep following her in her new book X corp which is like you said you hadn't heard of yet. It's going to be the next secret X-Men book coming out.
0: Yeah, we've got a whole batch of uh, new titles are supposed to start probably in the January or February solicits. We know we're getting a new Wolverine series. I don't know if there's a date for it yet or not. I should probably know that, but I don't. Um, but yeah, X-Corp, up until I was talking about it, I hadn't heard of it, so that's interesting. Now that just could be my own, like, not paying attention to emails, but, you know... Yeah.
1: And finally, the latest episode of The Mandalorian has come out, and you're still behind, so I can't talk about it with you, but I was talking about it with Tyler the other day, and we decided that for an episode of the MBD podcast, we'll just wait till the whole season's over, and then we'll just do a breakdown of the entire season. I mean, as amazing as it is, because this, se- this episode three, holy crap, is, in a- is unbelievable. It just keeps getting better. Cool. So... It's, it's probably gonna be best to do it that way. Just because it's like every week if we do a breakdown, it's just gonna like one of us isn't gonna be caught up, so it's gonna be hard to do.
0: So oh, yeah. It's not all of a sudden Disney Plus.
1: But I did read an article and I am going to agree. The article is titled Is John Favreau the man that's going to save Star Wars? I would have to say yes. Because oh. he what he's doing makes you love the Star Wars universe. Like it's awesome. Cool. And John Favreau's awesome, anyway. No, that like, guy's
0: great. So, like, as far as movies and like, even his non-Marvel movie stuff, man, like, the dude's great. Elf, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. He he's awesome in movies. He's acting in too, like even stuff he didn't direct. Like the dude's awesome. Yeah. Like just as I a agree,
1: one hundred percent. I just I'm just like th- he might be the dude that reigns in and like I mean. I liked Last Jedi, you didn't, whatever. We got Rise of Skywalker coming out to wrap up everything. I think it's gonna probably be really good. I did some kind of whatever with Star Wars. I'm, as much as I hated Solo, it was still a Star Wars movie and it's still neat to see those things, but like, somebody taking it and doing what he's doing with it, and like just really putting some, some love behind it, just some, like there's, I mean, just in the first episode, at this point, it's, like, several weeks old, so spoiler alert. Um, like, Brian Pissane makes an appearance. Nick Nolte makes an appearance. Like, it's just people who generally love Star Wars, and he, like, he's just doing it, like, as a love letter for what a universe that he's, he loves just like everybody else does. And so, it's pretty rad.
0: Oh, yeah. Sorry like, cameos and stuff. Like Carl Leathers is in it. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with the... Amount of faces that we saw in the first episode Just kind of randomly That was definitely cool
1: My curiosity is cause Up until this point Another spoiler alert I wonder where Boba Fett is Because this takes place five years after Return of the Jedi Supposedly he gets out of the Sarlacc pit
0: Well there's a batch of comic books And Expanded universe stuff That was before Disney that that's, was definitely a thing, but now that most of the expanded universe that was Dark Horse isn't considered canon anymore, so it's hard to say like what the truth is about. It'd be silly if he wasn't, but at this point, it'd be hard to say what the truth is about Boba Fett.
1: Well, there was like multiple things that like supposedly in like that the Sarlacc pit spits him out.
0: Yeah, multiple
1: the, things to say it.
0: All things that happened before the Disney buyout.
1: I know, but some of those things I think might have been canon.
0: Well, when they when they happened prior to that, no, it I was. think they
1: currently are. I think some of those oh, things are mm. still part of canon, but I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the real. I question. do
1: know that like there was a Star Wars tales like issue that it's Boba Fett, and then and there's another Boba Fett, then another Boba Fett, then another Boba Fett, <laughs> and it's just like him like that's having crazy. trained a bunch of people to be him, and that that's why his his. Uh, Reputation is so crazy is because he's had to train a bunch of other people to...
0: Made himself into a moniker like the Dread Pirate Roberts? Yeah. But
1: there's a bunch of them out yeah. doing, like, bounties, and so if one of them dies, there's still that going on, and they're like, how is... We thought we killed that person. So, hmm. that was just a Star Wars Tales-like story. Right. But well, interesting, wait. nonetheless.
0: Actually, that a guy in the story yesterday we were talking about the uh, original run of Marvel, comics-wise, and initially, when Disney took over, they said that nothing... Save the Movies, that one video game, and the Clone Wars, not including the Genndy Tarkovsky five-minute episodes, was the only stuff that was canon. So all the novels, all the Dark Horse books, all the expanded universe up to that point were no longer part of anything. Now, since then, we've seen them reprint, actually, Legacy, the Kate Skywalker stuff, but that doesn't fit either, because lineage-wise... It doesn't necessarily fit. Not that you couldn't force it to, and I don't know if the volumes, if the new Marvel volumes have new material or not. Like, they might. I mean, DC, whenever they were doing D52... What
1: do you mean it doesn't fit? Like, what do you mean?
0: Well, Cade in the future was the descendant of Han and Leia's
1: kids. No. Cade Skywalker? He was the descendant of Luke. That's all they ever say. They don't say who he's... They say he is just a Skywalker, that's all they say.
0: They didn't ever iron out who it was, though?
1: No, he just has the Skywalker name. It doesn't say how yeah. and why and what and when and where.
0: But even so, at this point in the game, like that doesn't fit anything that we know about. But I guess it could be off-canon or off-page, so that makes that fit a little easier. I guess I thought he connected someplace else. Nope. It has been a fair minute since I read those 50 issues. But, either direction, even with that being the case, leaning back to what I was talking about, the original Marvel run... Marvel did an issue number 108, which is a follow-up issue to the end of the original Marvel Star Wars. So in doing that, the question I have, I guess, is that, does that make the other 107 issues canon? So is the Green Rabbit Bucky O'Hare space race, that's not actually Bucky O'Hare, a real thing in Marvel now, or in in Star Wars now? Does that make all that stuff canon? Because they made that 108 issue? I, I don't know. Because a lot of that stuff, there was, there was an interesting stuff in it. There's also some trash, but as a thing, it's a it's an interesting question. And I don't know if anyone's ironed that out anywhere or not. So, anyway, I guess if any of you know that, um, you know, send an email to the podcast. That'd be cool. Or post a comment on Podomatic so I can try to learn where it's at. Help me help you learn. That's a good idea. Anyway, um, one more piece of news a little bit. So, uh, Jason Aaron's getting ready to end his, uh, his run on Thor. And, uh, as far as a thing, the last issue for him is gonna be the, uh, King Thor number four. And, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna be a bigger issue. So, it's the end of the miniseries. And as far as, like, cutoff is concerned, initially the book was listed as just having the one artist on it. And now, uh, we have a whole slew of people on it now. So it, it's, as far as pen, as far as writing is still Jason Darren, but we're going to have artists, uh, Mike Delmundo, Chris Burnham, uh, Esad Ribic, uh, Nicholas Petieri, Oliver Coypel, Russell Burtman, uh, Steve Scarce, Aaron Cooter, uh, Andre Sorrentino, Gabriel Walta, and, like, they're all doing some type of interior on the book, according to the write-ups, which is awesome. So, it's gonna be a 56-page book, and it's like, uh, I don't know, it's the end of an era, because the dude's been working on, he's been writing Thor, shepherding Thor the last five plus years. So, as a thing, that's a pretty big deal. The next series is gonna have, uh, Jace, or, is gonna have, uh, oh shoot, Donnie Cates is taking over. So, that'll be interesting. But uh, as a thing, I think during his whole Mighty Thor run, we did all these these time travel points where we had, like, past, present, and future happening at the same time, and it was put together really, really, really well. So this is supposed to be a cap to that. So all the God Bomb, God Butcher, all that stuff, this is supposed to be the wrap-up to the end of it. So pretty excited for that, because all that stuff was freaking amazing. And as far as a writer, uh, Jason Aarons is awesome. Like he the dude's great, so that should be cool. Uh, but yeah, as far as the thing, we just have a slew of new artists doing things for it as like a tribute, so that's cool. Um, that's all I really had as far as stuff, news-wise. Do you have anything else on there, Josh?
1: No, I just learned today when I was reading it, like these today in history that um, Adolf Hitler had an extreme phobia of cats. I just thought I'd share that with everybody.
0: So just like the Egyptians, is that are saying.
1: The gypsies didn't have phobia of cats. They loved cats and worshipped them.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Hitler was afraid of them. A phobia is a fear.
0: So only the mummy's afraid of them. It's like
1: life. your fear of, like, sunshine?
0: That's not the same thing. It's or, not fear, it's hate.
1: Your fear of the concho?
0: The, the what? The concho. Concho. Oh. <sighs> I wouldn't necessarily say it. it's a constant fear, but it is weird that's a thing.
1: You are afraid of it.
0: I mean, anybody saying would be.
1: You, you worry about a small child running it behind you and no poking you in the rear. Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> yeah, you do not at all.
1: That's hilarious. You know it.
0: All right, so it's going to start with books. Uh, let's see. So we got Gwyn. The first issue is going to be Gwynpool Strikes Back. This is number three. Uh, it's a six part mini series. Writer is Leah Williams. Or yeah, Leah Williams, and it's being drawn by David Baldion. Baldion? As far as the thing, this is like the second, gosh, I think the second miniseries for Gwen. And, uh, as a thing, like, she's a, she's an interesting character, like, the way she functions and works. So the setup for her, if you don't, if you don't already know how she's supposed to work, Gwen is supposed to be a girl from our reality, our dimension, the quote unquote real world, that has landed in the comic book world, and realizes she's a comic book, and the only way for her to keep, like, being alive, is to have issues with her in it. So this particular series is all about her trying to get more attention and have more issues and make herself more popular so the fans don't let her die. Because I guess now she's trapped in that world. As a thing, like when this book first opens up, it follows directly from the last one, where her and Deadpool have broken into the Fantastic Four or Fantastic Four Baxter building, and we're messing around in the basement. Um, It's funny. But when it opens up, like they're both running from Reed and Sue, and Deadpool's carrying a giant gun, and as they're being chased, uh, at one point, Gwyn, in order to get the Fantastic Four off their backs, does something that only Gwyn can do. She reaches outside the panels of the comic book to the artist's office, and spills his coffee into the book, and helps her and Deadpool both escape from Reed and Sue into the borders between the comic book pages. Um, she's done similar things to that in other books, but it is pretty funny. And <laughs> That leads to Deadpool expecting a thank you for having boosted the ratings on her book. And so we get this crazy, like the next page is this crazy breakdown of a flowchart of how he helped raise the profit margin on her book. So the way Gwen functions is she's under the belief that the more destruction and more attention the book gets, you get more bang for your buck, and she. When you think Deadpool breaks the fourth wall, Gwen breaks the fourth wall just as much, if not more. Um. Anyhow, so as he punches out of the book, he tells her, "You need to take a look at your 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 readership." And from there, we get this giant pile of pages that falls down, and she goes through them, and is reading like how her, how she does demographic wise, and when people like her books more, and when they sell more copies. And according to what she reads, she believes that when she's bad. She sells more copies. So that brings us to the sort of start of this brand new story, where we have Gwynpool's Island. And it's a very uh, Mario-esque, which is hilarious. And what she's managed to do is recruit a whole bunch of the Marvel A-list, B-list type superhero characters to come to this island as a charity to help raise money for a needy child. Of course, the child's her, which we find out later. In the process of everybody showing up, just like a fangirl, she has the, the Hulk shows up, and it's current She-Hulk, um, so the muscled-out, less Jennifer Walter-type. Tony Stark, um, Black Cat, then uh, Bucky and uh, Captain America show up. And, of course, it's a island, and they've all been called supposedly to play beach volleyball, so they're all dressed swimsuit-style. And, of course, she uh, gawkingly stares at the boys, And then eventually is drug away by Miss, by Miss Marvel, the current Kamala Khan Miss Marvel. And we get a breakdown of how she sees everybody. Like, here's the good guys, here's the bad guys, here are the, uh, new angsty team types. And so, like, appearance wise, we have Miles is there, the new, um, Wasp is there, Miss Marvel, Squirrel Girl, and Devil Dinosaur, and Moon Girl are all part of her, uh, angsty, older crowd doesn't get us books. And then we have the classic, like, Marvel types. So Captain Marvel, Captain America, Tony, Thor, Black Panther. And then a whole handful of the other, like, female lead types. So She-Hulk, Tigra, Spider-Woman, Black Widow, Jessica Jones, uh, Black Cat, and even Atlas is there, which is kind of weird, but whatever. Anyhow, so we move forward to that. She's got a giant stage set up, and she decides she's going to let everybody know what the deal is. And while she's up there talking, she basically informs all of them that the real reason they've been brought there and with this guy is to her secret island where she's set up like a a, an an inescapable setup where they're all trapped inside and they're going to be forced to battle it out with each other to prove that she's a worthy supervillain and to get her notice on everybody's radar. And of course, most of them play it off like it's a... Like, it's just funny. Tony makes fun of her, and everyone else is like, who is this girl? Uh, from there, we get some flashbacks that will show how she set it up, how she's perpetrating this battle royale. And she lets everyone know that uh, if they don't participate, they have the option to forfeit, but she doesn't suggest that. And she also tells them that if they wind up trying to escape the island, there's lots of lasers that will cause them problems trying to get out. And of course, Tony starts the first one to push the buttons. He's like, hmm... Alright, so he walks up to Steve Rogers, and he punches Steve in the face, and he's like, Come on, then! And Steve gets super pissed and swings at him, and about the time he's getting hit in the face, he says, I forfeit, and his giant whole portal thing opens up, and he gets punched through it. On the other side is like a waiting room with food, snacks, and other characters that Gwen has teamed up with before that she's kept out of the battle oil, so like Doctor Strange, Miss America Chavez... Uh, there's a whole handful of other characters in there, too. Uh, we move past that, and Tony's like, Oh, I can't believe it's really true. This is all really set up this way. So, Cat Merrick gives her the business about how it's not right to do what she's doing. And uh, about that time, she asks the rest of the audience if they have any questions before the battle royal starts. Of course, Squirrel Girl pipes up, and depending on whether you've been reading Squirrel Girl or not, eh, she sits different in the world than she used to. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but, you know, whatever. Um, Anyway, so she convinces uh, Gwenpool that her and the teen group that people don't understand probably shouldn't be included, and of course she agrees and sends them away, and about that time she looks at Steve Rogers, who tries to grab her and stop all this from happening, and she's like, just to prove that I'm really about it, and all of a sudden we see this cage come out of the ground, and it's got Bruce Banner in it, which we see she's caught off page uh, in another story. And she walks up to him, pulls out a gun, and basically blows his face off. Now, if you're reading the current um, Immortal Hulk, and if you're not, you really should, which there's actually a quote about that in here, because it's freaking awesome. Uh, if you kill Bruce, he doesn't actually die anymore. He just returns as the Hulk, So, which I guess has kind of been a thing since the movies. So I don't really feel like it's that different, but at this point, he's not really in control of it. After she does that, all of a sudden we see a whole bunch of these like crazy crystal gems, almost like uh, like Sim style, appear above the characters' heads. And what we've been informed is that your colors—you're supposed to find the person who matches your color gem, and that's who you're supposed to battle it out with. And uh, funny thing, like the last few issues, the covers are being done by Terry and, Ra- Terry and Rachel Dotson, so the covers have been fantastic. And in the last two issues, at the end of the books, Gwen sets up her cover photo and that's what it leads to at the very end of this particular issue. So Banner of course returns as the Hulk, and then we have Gwen pose on a beach towel, and she's her she straight up says, Give me a D cup, Terry, and at that point the Hulk is charging her. Well the cover for this particular issue is Gwen, dressed very pinupy like on the beach type, about to get smashed by the Incredible Hulk. Or the I guess, Immortal Hulk right now. So, like, she straight up tells the artist who to give her, what to make the cover of. It's hilarious. Anyhow, and then, uh, she's, she makes a comment to herself that she hadn't really planned that much farther than the cover. And we see her color turn to match the Hulk's color. So, uh, next issue, I'm guessing, is gonna be her versus the Hulk. And that's basically where things wrap. Um, as far as the book, I mean, it's a fun book. It's not. It's 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 fun. It's cute. The art's not bad. Like I like the art style to it. Covers have been fantastic. Gwen's a neat character, but she's I mean she's like Deadpool. So if you enjoy Deadpool stuff, you probably like this. She's a little cutesier than Deadpool, I guess. Uh As far as the score, I may mean, give it a three. It was a fun read, but if if she's not your bag of tea, I can understand not picking it up just on a whim. Even though the covers have been awesome, Josh, what did you think about the book?
1: I give it a two and a half. I'm not into Gwynpool. I think it's just boring. I know. I think she's a ridiculous character, and I'm not into it at all. Um, I think the stories. There's some funny parts to it. The art's decent, but other than that, like Deadpool says it right at the beginning that it's like she should thank him because he's made, made her sales up. Like she's one of those characters, like <clears throat> Spider Girl, that's probably um, has a small group of followers who like will keep her afloat. But other than that, like to me, like it's too much of it's too much of a reach. Like it's. Like, the Deadpool thing's funny, because it's, like, it's doing it because he's crazy, but, like, she's, like, I just, it's, it's, the ridiculousness is too much for me. Like, some people might like it, sure, but,
0: like, I'm not a fan of it, so. Like, as a character in general, she originally started as a, a variant cover. Like, one month they were doing Gwen Stacy variants, and the Gwen Stacy variant for Deadpool was Gwen dressed sort of like Deadpool, sitting in a donut in a pool. So it was Gwen pool. And the cover itself got so much popularity that they just turned around and made her into an actual character. So, she comes from a silly place. And yeah, as far as a thing, I mean, it's not a serious book. That's true. And it's more shenanigating than regular Deadpool, I guess. Cool. Um, Alright, we'll move on to the uh, Green Lanterns, Black Stars. Alright, I got Green Lantern, Black Stars, number one.
1: Um, written by Grant Morrison and drawn by Zermonico. Um it's just one name, just like Cher or Madonna. Right at the beginning of this book. Starts with uh Hal Jordan as a dark star as Parallax Parallax is his um his moniker for as his black it's his black star name. With cosmic vampire Belzebeth. And this book picks up right at the end of Grant Morrison's first The Green Lantern story arc. And so at the end of that there's a bunch of like altering like Things that happen, like craziness, and so this one picks up right after that where Grant Moore, or not Grant Morrison, um, how Jordan is a dark star.
0: Right, and a lot of things change with the whole shift of reality, too. Yeah,
1: so it's like a massive reality shift, and we're not sure, like, what's going on. So this one starts with them walking down a set of stairs together into, like, some sort of, like, vault basement thing, and talking about how they're going to try to convince a group of gods of some sort to help them build this new universe and this new planet, so to speak.
0: And the place they're in is, like, completely wrecked. And they talk about it being Oa, so that's crazy.
1: If this is Oa, that makes a lot more sense. Like, as you read through it, I didn't grasp that this part was Oa, but it very well could be. But they talk about that the um, the Guardians themselves sacrificed themselves ages ago to trap these entities, the guardian entities in these, these prisons. And as we sat here and discussed it ourselves, like it's, they're all there, but we're not quite sure a hundred percent, which all of them are. So like, as you read this yourself, like definitely take a look because I think we figured out Sapphire. We figured out, um, red, which is rage. We figured out, um, orange. We figured out yellow, but blue and green, Oh, and we figured it out yeah, blue and green, so hope and will. We're not sure which
0: ones are supposed to be them, yeah.
1: But it's like it's very fascinating because they're like there's they're slightly different than the actual entity from
0: from the regular Green Lantern books. Yeah. yeah. So
1: and and this also talks about as Belzabbeth is talking to Hal, she's talking about how he screams in his sleep about the Green Lantern core and so and how it's it hasn't it hasn't ever really existed.
0: Which is also crazy.
1: So that's where this book picks up. So, Beelzebeth, like, talks to all of them, and they all kind of talk trash to her. Not all of them, but some of them do. And she makes um, a massive example out of the one that we've, I think, decided is Star Sapphire.
0: Probably, And,
1: like, shoots these, her crazy laser eyes through it, and then, like, rips its face thing tentacles off it's got and, a face kind and of, then it's yeah. head or something i don't know you can't tell what part's what because they're all they're all very warped and different so the ones we can't tell are there's a giant head in a globe that almost looks like Ganthit. Ganthet, Ganthet it looks um, similar yeah so i think that'd probably be blue that would be hope possibly right. cuz he you know he was the he was founder kind of of hope, of hope. Mm-hmm. it's the, he basically talks them all into or she does she she after she makes an example of sapphire, what we think is sapphire, like gets them all to join her to come and work on this new planet that they're going to, the new civilization that's going to rule the universe. um you fast forward to they are on a starship heading towards war world her next her bezelbeth his next goal with Hal is to go get mongol mongols how I was pronounced it mongol mongol. And they're going to go there next. And she's like, "Well, he's pretty powerful. I, you think?" And she's like, "I'm not. I don't care. I'm not worried about it." And he's like, well, "Let me take care of it." And so, as you come onto the ship, you notice like in the background some other people who are Green Lanterns. Oh yeah, maybe, but they,
0: probably they look a lot like them.
1: Like John Stewart is like. That could be any guy. It could be, but like the other Green Lantern with the face eye tattoo,
0: definitely Jessica Cruz.
1: Definitely, and then you have like the, um, like the like the bird
0: face fish. Oh, so Tomari, yeah. Which I mean, there's a lot of Tomari alien types. I don't know his race. I should, but I don't. But we've seen other of his race. But there's one we see later, like in a group of them pulling a planet across the cosmos. That's Kilowog for sure. And best I understand, still, Kilowog's still the last of his race. So, if that's not Kilowog, then an artist messed up. But otherwise, it that's who that is.
1: But it also shows a bunch of entities and people who were potentially Green Lanterns pulling Oa to a new position right. to build this new Earth on this new thing.
0: Yeah, whatever's going to be the new home planet. do we see the the volcano, uh, Green Lantern oh, yeah. too, like he's that,
1: that Grant introduced at the yeah. beginning of the uh, Green Lantern the Grand Lantern, Green Lantern series. Yep. Um, so as they stand on the bridge of the ship, they're all talking to Bezelbeth about like what's going on, and you you do actually see a Kilowog looking individual, which as you pointed out, CBS. Kilowog is the last of his race.
0: Last, so it's, last, I understood. So yeah, got to be. It's got to be him. Like if it's not, then it's an artist that messed up, and that, But it, if, but
1: if this is a reality where Green Lanterns never really existed,
0: I guess that's a good point.
1: These people would all naturally be hmm. Black Stars because they're all they all still have that same
0: like same drive or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say it's him only because everything else we know about his. Culture. He's supposed to be the last, so I mean that—that's who I think it is.
1: One of the Black Stars who can read minds says, "I trust the Knights Bond more than I trust Black Star Parallax." And Bezelbet just says, "We're Black Stars. We only need to trust Controller Mu, so it doesn't even matter whether you trust that trust him or not." And then they—they they approach War World, and Mongul comes up on the the comm and. They have a little chatting and Mongol sends some missiles out and is like, Yeah, I'm not scared of you and and uh Bezilvest says, Let me speak to Parallax and Mongol says he's busy. Um busy for what looks to be the remaining moments of his life and it's how fighting this this evil, crazy scorpion beast thing that uh Mongol supposedly is underfed. And so he's like, and you're all gonna die, so here's some more missiles and She's like, I was born, dead on the planet of vampires, and and he's like, warpedo, search and destroy because like Mongols just I I don't care.
0: Yeah, he's not impressed.
1: He's like, I've gone toe to toe with Superman, which we we discussed. Like Sinestro kind of made Mongol. Yeah, he me, did
0: kind of own him. Whatever he's trying to take over the island, which is probably him.
1: one of my favorite scenes in that That's in that crazy. series. Because he's like, I built that ring, I control it, and he just like. Yeah. Crushes him. Basically, it was it was awesome.
0: Yeah, but Snatcher does rule him pretty good.
1: And then it says, "Um, his computer on World says Overmaster Zero destroyed." And Mongol's like, "Uh, wait, what?" And then she's like, "Now it's my turn." And um, Hal just finally just like quits pretending that he's going to lose and just makes makes short work of the uh, crazy Hellhound thing. And um. The rest of the Black Stars come down, and the next scene that you really see is sh- Bezelbeth has just drank Mongol dry, because she's a, a cosmic vampire. Yep. And he's like, I, I'm, he's, he's struggling bad, and she's like, I'm going to remake you. I have plans to remake you. And so he has bent to her will. So again, crazy stuff because she's uh-huh. her her power seemed to be like she maybe she draws them off of whoever she's fed off of. Yeah, but she's pretty. She took on a the Sapphire Star deity or whatever it looks like in this warped reality. It was crazy. So, and then the next day is Elizabeth and Hal talking about how she's kept, um, Mu. Wishes them to wed.
0: Right, which moves the god that she serves... Or the... What they call him? The Collector? Or the... Uh, no. Uh, it's a C word. The... Oh, dang it. Overseer? It's like that, but that's not the right name. Dang it, I don't know what it is. Uh, the Controller, maybe? It's, it's part of what they call him by his name... But he's the one that rules over all of the Black Stars, and he's the one bending reality to his will. Yeah, Controller Moo. Controller, that's what it is. Yeah, I knew
1: it was a C word. And she said Controller move wants us to... Uh, to, to wed. To wed. And then it moves forward, and then you, if you look closely, you almost... It's not, like, super detailed, because it's kind of panned out, but it shows even more potential people who were Green Lanterns as well. And then um it shows the new oa, like the sun rising and it's it's like see how the suns melt the ice caps, how soft rains are orchestrated to fall like music, here's what we may have made for Mu, and then Mu arrives finally. The controller comes, um and he doesn't speak, she speaks for him, but it's just this beautiful paradise and she talks about he he takes a seat on his throne and it and it shows like the, de- the like the the color deities right. and some black stars and Mongol kneeling pouring a glass of wine he's like the cup bearer and it's pretty intense it's like it's straight up paradise but Mu doesn't speak she speaks Mu is the controller creation is his control he would do only what is right and but Mu no longer needed to speak. She speaks for him, and then she's like, "And I prepare for my wedding feast." And then his house, sitting in space, looking at Earth, and he's like, "Damn!" So that's going to be her wedding feast. So we're going to see what's happened to Earth in this new warped reality coming up next. So
0: pretty, pretty crazy. There's a lot of there's a lot of little things hidden in the art for characters, and a lot of like things the first time through you don't notice. It, but it took us both well, pretty
1: much two reads yeah. to like really grasp and then discuss it together what was going on. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot more
0: pacing in the book than you than on than on first flash through.
1: So this is only going to be a three part mini series, but yep. it's going to jumpstart the next wave of his the Green Lantern book that he's going to do with the original team that he worked with the first time around. Right. Which is saying, so,
0: this is supposed to set the stage for all of that. Like, well, according to the
1: or just it's just part of it. Right. Basically, but. Um, initial reading, I was like meh. Second reading, after we discussed it, like I'm a little more hyped on it because there's a lot more cool things going on. I I should have known better with Grant because like he, that's the way he works. He's just he's got a crazy brain, so he hit a lot of stuff in there. But see how it goes.
0: All right, you score for that book.
1: Um, I'm gonna give it just a three and a half. Only because I'm curious as to where it goes. Um, I usually put more faith in him, but um, I did struggle a little bit with the art. I think the art is a little weak. Um, it was so good before in the, in like the, the Green Lantern series. Like it had that crazy old-school 70s sci-fi feel. And this one's just like... I just feel like it's a little soft.
0: When we were looking at some of the pages on the preview shots online and I think maybe part of it's the printing, because the, the paper it's printed on is that, not exact newsprint, but newsprint-esque. I mean, it's a better quality, but it's it's not the same like, I don't know, it's, it's what DC's been using probably the last six months, and I think part of that makes the color not pop the same way, because the, the, scenes, the same scenes online look way sharper. So I think that might be part of the translation of the printing, which, I mean, that's... You know, you can't do anything about that, so it's what it is. What do you think? As far as, like, score, I mean, I, like, like the first time around, I had a hard time, too. Um, So on a second read-through with a little more information, uh, you know, I'm going to give it a three. I mean, score-wise, Grant, for me, is not, I mean, he's hit or miss. He's done some great, some great Batman stuff. He's done some terrible Batman stuff. A lot of his indie books... Um, or just fantastic. Joe the Barbarian, it's amazing. We Three, amazing. But then he has a handful of other stuff that I'm like, eh, it's not my bag. So, as a thing, like, I don't have the same chase to him. But as a a thing, writing-wise, I don't know. The Green Lantern stuff is pretty good. This guy, with a better understanding of what's happening, is really good, too. I think it'd be rough if you haven't read any Green Lantern stuff and you come with this book by itself, it's gonna be rough. Um, I, you probably need to go find Green Lantern issue 12 or a write up online about it because without that, it is rough. As a standalone number one, yeah, it's a hard, yeah. You're, bag.
1: you're going to be super confused. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, but the rest, other than that, the rest of it's good. And being that it's supposed to file directly from where Green Lantern ended is not built to be a normal number one. I think it'd be hard for people to understand that in the store if you just happen to be walking by it. But it's not it's not what it's built to be. It's built to be an issue thirteen and then the the name changes because of what's happened in the galaxy. So I get them doing it the way they're doing it, but I think they could have done it the other way. Not that it affects it. I mean, issue wise I say it's a three. Positioning wise it I don't necessarily like how they've delivered it to the world. So I mean there's that, I guess. And that maybe it's just me. I mean but I don't think, I don't think you picked it up as number one and you're like, sweet, new start, place to start. Because it's not that. Like, literally at all. But the rest of it's really cool. And all the crazy versions of the entities are definitely cool. So like, yeah, it's, it's some interesting stuff going on, man. But, yeah, I give it a three. That's fair. yeah, I'm done. <laughs> well, let's move from there to the, uh, Dark Horse's, uh, Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter number one uh, <laughs> which is a mouthful of a title. Uh as far as a uh, writer, this is a uh, David Uh De Stat- De- oh, I don't know how to say your last name, I'm sorry. Desmatchin uh it's D A S T M A L C H I A N is the writer, and the artist is uh Lucas Kettner. And art-wise, I dig it. It's very, uh, I don't know, it's very horse story-esque. So I'm into it. I like the way it looks as far as this as style is concerned. When we first pick up the story, we start, basically, we see a, what's outdoors, a wooded area with a few bats hanging, And then we get a shot outside of a KSKB, which we wind up finding out is like a television station, maybe like old school. 90s style, where uh, you had more local TV than anything else. And we have this character stumble out the door, and she is painted up, her hair is dyed black, a crazy white streak in it, she's got a red cape on, very like, I don't know, 80s punk rock almost. Her face is painted white, her eyes are blacked out, and she's just down in bottles of booze. Um, she's got Blackbird, which is very much like a Jack Daniels style bottle. And as she's walking through the parking lot, all of a sudden this dude kind of comes out of nowhere, and he's yelling at her, asking where the other one is. Where's, Where's the other one? Where is he? He lied to me. He's supposed to help me. And she's like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? And she tells him that she has mace in her pocket somewhere. And about that point, he pulls out a gun, and he points it at her, and she's like, oh no, please don't. And he turns around and hands it to her, puts it to his own head and tells her to go ahead and to go and shoot him and to tell his mom he's sorry about Toto, whatever that means. I'm assuming it must be a dog, but I guess it could be the band. Anyhow, um, and she's like freaking out, like, what are you doing? And as she backs away from him, he drops to the ground and all of a sudden we see this crazy, we see the backside of a crazy transformation, like, his hand basically turns into, like, a set of claws. And we cut... To is or the next next page is actually splatter page where we see a broken bottle on the ground and it looks like her being casted in a shadow and a reflection on of the broken booze of her being attacked by what looks like a werewolf. So, I mean that's pretty crazy. We cut from there directly to a king eating at a feast and a gesture juggling like j- just juggling straight up red fair style, and we find out that's actually where we are, and we join our uh, character from the previous night, who we find out is Jerry, and she's in the back of this curtained-off area, drinking out of a box of wine. And she's dressed like a business suit casual, and we want to find out that she's the local news anchor to do things about town, and she's out there to do an interview with the guy who runs the Ren Fair. Um, and as she's doing that, after she leaves the whole wine thing, they start recording, and we see the wine stains on her teeth, and as she starts interviewing the guy, the dude basically takes over and he's just selling the idea of coming to the Ren Fair, blah, 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 it tells all these great things they have and he starts talking about how his wine's a wine connoisseur and they have the best wines for the adults to buy and all kinds of things for the kids and fake swords and hats and, you know, everything you find at a Renaissance Fair. And he starts hyping up the alcohol and talking about how great their connoisseur of wine is. And about that time, she grabs the mic back from him because he finally like, took it from her. Like, Jerk style. And she starts questioning him about his provision of wine. And uh, from there, she tells the camera that she's a journalist and she's going to expose the Renfair. And she leads them to the back and shows them that what well, he's really been serving them all is boxed wine. It's not fancy, it's not aged, it's not, it's just store bought wine and basically exposes him for being a fraud. In the process of that, the two of them get in a fight over the microphone, and she wants to be pushed down into a puddle of mud. And of course he accuses her of being a drunk, which we have now seen is definitely the truth. Um and she stands up and tries to finish the segment of the news and uh it cuts away and she just she's a mess. Like she's covered in mud and the whole interview itself went kind of awry. Uh from there we cut to a business office and she's on on one side of the desk and on the other side of the desk is a fella and uh, he tells her she's fired, and he doesn't want to fire her, but he doesn't have a choice to fire her. And during the conversation... Yeah, during the conversation, we find out this is her brother, and apparently their parents used to run the news station, and we see a couple of pictures of them when they were kids. So he feels bad about firing her, but then he tells her, well, he has one job she can take, the uh, Count Crowley position, and she's like, what is that? Well, there's a fellow who's been doing an, uh, an evening show, which we wind up finding out the idea of it's basically like what Vamprella or no, not Vampirella, uh Elvira is, or if you know who Spangoolie uh, is, it's basically that. If you don't know who Spangoolie is, Google it. It's crazy. But it's basically that. So there's an evening presenter that will show an old horror movie, run trivia between questions and commercials, and basically act like a ghoul for the night show. And she's fully insulted by that, and like completely gets pissed at her brother and winds up leaving and we wind up seeing her go on a bender a little bit more. I mean, she goes to the bar. We find out she's behind on bills a lot and watches she's at the bar taking shots with a random dude. She winds up spending the night with a random dude and uh sneaking out the next morning. She winds up running into her uh landlord. And, like, this thing's taking place, it's got to be the early 80s because of the, how the TV station's set up and how everybody's dressed. So, as a thing, I, I don't think they give us a date when it's supposed to be happening, but it's prior to people carrying cell phones and the way the world is now um anyway he winds up talking to her about how she still owes the last three months worth of rent and she's behind from previous payments so when she gets into her apartment she winds up hearing a message on the answering machine from her brother and so she decides she doesn't have a choice but to take the job even if she doesn't want it uh so she shows up at the station that evening and her brother in the message tells her that if she doesn't show up he'll have to do it so when she gets there her brother's already half in makeup and he's super happy to see her and uh, he tells her to go and get dressed, and in the process, she's finishing off another bottle of, uh I mean, it's basically Jack Daniels, right? Just, it's,
1: it's whiskey. Yeah. So whatever. Uh.
0: So he introduces her to her film crew, and we've got an old guy who does sound, who can't hear, and then a camera operator that also works as the editor in the booth to load commercials. It's so an old TV, like, when you cut off air, just like news station style, you play the commercials. So, like, that's what her editor guy board, does. Board operator. Yeah. So we see her set, and her set is, like, straight-up spingooly. Like, there's a crazy coffin and smoke machine and these stained glass windows and fake bats and skulls with candles all over them. I mean, it's awesome. The show starts, and it plays its little intro theme song, and it's like, Hey, Friday nights! Scream Theater! And then she's just left to talk. And something her brother said earlier was, just be yourself. It'll be fine. No one will recognize you because the way you're painted up in the makeup. And from there, she basically just kind of goes off. And originally she starts by saying, she starts out reading the cue cards she was given. And then partway through, she stops reading the cards. And she just kind of, she kind of acts like... She's
1: sad libs. She just goes off. She just goes off on her own way. Right. She starts talking trash to the crowd and about the movie and about just everything.
0: But... It's, but it's the type is likable, so some people we actually see people at home. Some responding like, "Oh, this lady's awesome," and others being like, "I can't believe what, this, what is this?" But so, it's,
1: it's drawing numbers, right. so it's like
0: ultimately by the end of the show, she winds up finding out that they got so many calls for her that the advertisers on the show, for the show are going to be super super happy with what happened. And she's like, wow, I did good. And her brother's like, yeah, you did amazing. Like, it's awesome. Anyway, we move forward from there where she leaves the studio. And that's where we jump in our current story to where the beginning of the story was. And we pick up with the scene in the parking lot. It's played out a lot shorter. But we see the full transformation. And yeah, it's straight up a werewolf. And uh, the werewolf comes at her in the parking lot. And that's where this first issue ends. And we get this like keeper looking monk guy. He's called Friar Fear, and he gives us like a blurb about, "Oh, next issue is going to be the where the werewolf attacks, and will she survive? Maybe there's more to being Count Crowley than just TV show blah blah." blah. And then it's got a bunch of old school like mail order shit on the bottom. Yeah, it's so funny. Like pretty there's cool X-ray specs of the telescope, and then it's got like the sea monkeys, but it says it's just shrimp. It, they're funny. They're really small written, but yeah, it's hilarious. Um, anyway, that's where the book wraps. This particular one's only a four-part miniseries, so series-wise, it's not super long. Um, as a thing, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it, it's fun. The art's a little gritty, but it's, it's a horror story, so I'm gonna say it makes sense for that. Uh, I dug it. I, maybe I'm predisposed to it just because I liked Elvira a lot, and since learning what Spanguly is, I kinda like that too. So it might just be where it hits, and for me, learning about that guy this last month, um, I give it a three and a half. Like it was fun. If you like like weird kills from the crypt type stuff, I think that's what the rest of this is gonna be. So I dug it. Um, that's that's about all I got. It's,
1: but, I give it a three and a half as well. It's like it's it's really good. It's it's really well written. Like it's. Um, I mean, the art's like meh. It's like average and. But it's, it's a cool, it'll be a cool mini-series. I'm stoked on it. Like, it's a, yeah, it has that, that USA up all night, that, like, Avira, oh, that, 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 that t- the the show, tales yeah. like, all that stuff. Like, it's, I mean, it's that's what it's based around, but it, it'll be cool. We'll see where it goes. But it's like, it's a take on that, and then monsters actually exist, and the, the person who used to do her job was, like, helping those monsters somehow.
0: Well, yeah, they talk about him not showing up to work for, like, three or four days or something. So, what's actually happened to him? Um, I mean, I guess that's going to be part of the story, because... Why wouldn't it be? But yeah, it was it was pretty fun. Like I dug it. And like it. her costume is so silly, but I like it. I think it's I think it's cool. <sighs> Anyhow, um, so yeah. Uh miniseries from Dark West, check it out, I guess. i we want to move on to our next book, The Annihilation Scourge. <clears throat> this is also from Marvel Comics.
1: So there were some things a while ago, I think this probably has I feel like this has to do with maybe some of the Silver Surfer series stuff.
0: There was a... This guy will run into Silver Surfer at one point. Um, so maybe like, I don't know, maybe nine years ago, there was a storyline called Annihilation War. And it basically with the character, Annihilus, coming after the Fantastic Four in Earth.
1: Well, coming out of the... Out of the, out of the negative zone. Into the positive zone.
0: Right. And like, this... It connects only because it still has Annihilus in it the rest of the story, best I can tell, doesn't connect to the war story, except that Annihilus is part of it. And we're dealing with invasion into different realities or different areas. Um, Because he lives in the Negative Zone, he's basically the bug king of the Negative Zone, is what he is. And this storyline, other than him being part of it, I don't really feel like it connects heavily, because we're dealing with a different villain, and even though it's a similar setup, I don't think you would have to read other stuff at all. Like, Literally,
1: um, there's something I've I've seen as we get there. I've seen them before, and I can't think of what it was. I think in that Silver Surfer series, when he gets trapped in that other reality, right? There's something about that, like those.
0: Well, we we do wind up digging digging. Well, once we get to the middle of it, yeah. there's a point where we run into the the cancer verse. So. so
1: yeah, so it starts out with, and that's isn't that where Silver Surfer is in that book? I,
0: I don't I don't think in Black they actually say where he is. Do they? I don't know. Because he he winds up running into the Venom God, and I don't think that that universe... I think that's in regular regular the positive universe. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's flung through the black hole, and I don't remember if they say where he lands universe-wise or not. But also with that in mind, this book is going to connect to a Silver Surfer story and to a Battery Bill story and to a Nova story. So the way it moves is going to deal with a lot of characters in space that we don't entirely know where they're at, because of what happened in Guardians. And that... I think that's where the two things are aligned.
1: So it starts out with like a bunch of um, dead farmers. Um, sla- like slaughtered by... I mean, alien farmers.
0: like Right. They call them dirt farmers. And in my head yeah. all I could think about was Jawas. They're not Jawas, but... Yeah.
1: Jalas don't farm, though. The, they just dirt, steal dirt things. They're farmers.
0: That's what they are.
1: No, they just steal things. I know. These guys are actual farmers. Right. And then Black uh, King Black, Blastar comes out, of, comes out of the darkness and starts telling everybody, they're, like, trying to figure out who everybody is, and they, they grab one of them to try to talk to it, and it's like, these tentacles come out of its mouth, and it says, like, who did this? Who attacked you? And it's like, this says, God, exclamation point, and then, like, Blastar just like, smokes it, and it's like, yeah. Um, he's like, I know who did this. And so the next scene is two factions fighting each other, but it's almost it's like they're fighting each other. Well,
0: it's, it's Annihilus, and
1: he's well, fighting, like... Yeah, like, I'm getting that, but it's like, it looks like Annihilus is fighting other people that were part of Annihilus' group, so it's kind of weird. And um, Annihilus is just like just doing what nihilist is and just like shredding people and it's like murdering, cutting heads off and just being crazy and torching people and, uh, everybody's kind of getting behind him. But, um, he's like, who's, who did this? Who's what's going on? Like, talk to me, tell me what's going on. And it's just like, you're not in charge anymore. We don't follow you anymore. And then like, they see a ship coming. He's like, ah, take that ship down but his blastar ship and blastar is just coming to tell Anylas about what's going on. Right. And so then it just pisses like Blastar off even more. He's like you're an idiot. Annihilus, you're a fool. And he's like this is what's going on and he has he has a couple captured and uh they start talking to him and they're like yeah, um you're not a lord anymore. Um you'll meet him soon, Annihilus. He's coming. And then like Blastar was like enough of this and just tortures him. He's like I've been here. I've been listening to this for too long. Like for days I've been they've the same, they've same they've been thing. Saying, yeah. I'm over it. And so Fast forward to the Annihilus planet, and um, it's just a massive, like, raging war, and they're, like, they're trying to get to the, uh, well, first, like, th- that planet where, they're, like, he meets up with Annihilus, like, is getting overrun, so, like, we gotta get out of here, and is like, I don't surrender, he's like, you need to, like... We're, we're both gonna die. Everything's gonna be
0: done. Yeah. Not just,
1: like, you and me, but
0: everything. Yeah, it's everything they're fighting is, like, a mixture of both their people. And just- he's like,
1: don't you have a... Don't you have a portal right. to the pos- the positive zone that we can get to and get some help? And he's like, I do. Let's get there. Until so they go to Anansi's planet, and you know the war follows in there. And uh, they're like you know, war rages on, and all of a sudden you see um after hour well actually. I'm going to rewind us a little bit. Like, the planet they are leaving, I was getting overrun, and I was, like, shoots this, like, some sort of bomb that just, like,
0: oh, annihilates yeah, the He, he planet. nukes it, and they, they think that's going to stop whatever was happening because the planet's overrun with all those tentacle, weird black tentacle things that get into the other people. So he blows up people that are his and people that are Blastar's, like, nuke the planet from space, alien style. It's the only way to be sure. And so they nuke it behind them. But that doesn't stop the onslaught.
1: And then they're on the nicest planet and they're getting attacked again and they're trying to get the get to the portal, get start getting things through the portal, and they're like, um What is this? Like what's going on? Like something crash lands on the planet and they're like, What is that? And it's like it's our defeat, and it's uh the Cancerverse versions of Captain America, the wasp, um giant man, Scarlet Witch, and the Hulk.
0: The Revengers. Which it's them from the cancerverse.
1: It's Revengers dismember. Yep, and they just uh, start messing people up, and um, blastar is like, "You need to get through that portal because, unlike me, you have people who are actually like your friends there, which is weird that like he would assume anybody in that universe is like what or that that reality would right. call nihilus a friend."
0: He calls them allies, but who he's talking about is, like, the Fantastic Four, and they are not his friends.
1: Or Nova, <laughs> anybody. or Silver Surfer, or yeah. anybody.
0: So it's more like, you know people on the other planet, um, go get help. And, yeah, it's nobody that gets along with him at all. It's all people he's attacked or fought.
1: So he's, they start going through this portal, and um, they're like, it. the, the portal's not... 100% safe.
0: No, he's been building it to try to break back into the positive universe. So part of that whole Annihilation War dealt with him coming after our world, really. And back whenever they did the Death of Johnny Storm, when they the Fantastic Four sealed the portal the last time, Johnny did it and stayed on the other side. And so the whole Death of Johnny Storm came from a storyline about that. And it, of course, I mean, he didn't really die because he's, you know, human torch and You can go Nova, but, yeah, as a thing, this last time we really dealt with Annihilus was during part of that. And, yeah, he doesn't have an actual, like, normal functioning portal. He's been working on one that's, it might get him there, maybe.
1: So they, like, they get a couple ships through, and Annihilus is like, we made it. Your lord and honest has led you to the positive zone, a dimension full of fierce warriors, powerful beings, and great heroes. Among them, we will find a champion who will lead them into battle with us somewhere out here. And it shows Battery Bill with Lockjaw, and it shows Silver Surfer, and it shows Reed and Sue Richards. So, um, and then you, then you are all of a sudden on a a random space station, and it's, um, Rich Rider. Rich Ryder and um, Cosmo, and Rich Ryder is vomiting because he's wasted. And he's like, "Um, I think they maybe had too much. He's like, don't tell me what to do, Cosmo. <laughs> and they're just arguing back and forth. And he's just like, he's like, why does this water taste so terrible? He's like, it's because it's the toilet. He's like, well, what did I vomit into? He's like, oh, that's the, fil- the, fil- like the air the filtration air system. He's wow, yeah. like, oh, what the heck. And then all of a sudden there's a ship just, like, coming towards the space station. They're like, you need to go fix that because if not, like... He's like, well, is this bar going to be okay? Like, well, this... And he's like, yeah, he's like, okay. Drinks are, on, like, drinks are on you if I go fix this. So he crashes through the window, goes out there and try, stops it. And he finally does. And then they, like, lasers get ready to attack him. So he just starts smashing into the hole of the ship. And he comes upon Annihilus, and Annihilus is like, um, you need to call the Nova Corps. And he's like, wait, what? There is no more Nova Corps. He's like, so then we're, then we're screwed. And then... Uh, it flashes back to the other reality, and Blastar is, like, defending blast. Well, he's the last—well, he's—the thing that created the Dimensional Vortex doorway. Machine, yeah. He's like, we gotta destroy this, and the people are like, well, only the three of us know how to use it, so he kills them, yeah. and then he destroys it. And he's like, "Good, they're like no, nobody, can, no, but now nobody can get through because if they can, they'll be able to get back through from the other side if they're as smart as like Niles says." Yeah, there. he
0: says if Niles is as smart as, as you say he is, and or he says he is, he'll be able to find a way to get back here. And so he kills the two guys who know how to operate it. I don't think he actually destroys the machine. I think he gets ready to, and that's where the next thing happens.
1: Well, so Blastar tries to destroy the machine, yeah. but something something crashes in there and says, "Yell stop." And he, like, blasts this thing, and then, like, the last page is the Sentry. And he's like, uh, surely you've seen enough to know that nothing can stop us. After we finish with the Negative Zone, I will be going home, I promise. So it's like, it's not Negative Zone or Cancerverse, it's just normal it Sentry. be a real century. It's just Sentry, like, it's like... The Superman of the Marvel Universe, yeah. like, super powerful, ridiculous, crazy, like, the Sentry.
0: Right. I'm like, his whole bag is... I mean, his, his villain is a character named The Void, but The Void is also him, like, multiple personality style. But usually when he's The Void, he does not look the same, and this looks just like normal Sentry. Except he's smiling all crazy and has, kill you eyes, it's awesome, it's so crazy. But yeah, he's the uh, he's the one who's leading, apparently, the Revengers, which is also weird, because why is he there at all?
1: Right. And where has he been? Uh, you he's know, been gone for a while. It's been a
0: fair minute since we saw him, yeah. So I don't have an answer for how he's where he is, like, literally at all. Yeah, that's basically where that cuts off. So
1: shows, like, upcoming, like, there's a Nova... Number one, a Fantastic Four, number one, a Battery Bill, and a Silver Surfer, Annihilation Scourge. And I think they're all just, like, mini-series, but... They're um, pieces
0: of the story, so the way all, they're all the one-shots, actually. Yeah. So,
1: we're going to get to see some Silver Surfer, which I'm stoked on, and some Battery Bill, which I know you're stoked on. Yep.
0: And then there's a, the End Issues is and Omega Issues. So, the way the books work, the first one, this one here, is Alpha. So, it's Annihilation Scourge, Alpha, number one. Then the other chapters, the one-shots, all happen between A and B. Now, I don't know if they're going to be read-wise, part one, part two, part three, or if they're going to be read-wise. This is what happens to the Nova, because the end of this book sets up the Nova story. So probably the end of the Nova will set up Fantastic Four, then we'll set up Better build Bill, then we'll set up Silver Surfer. Well, Surf.
1: Nova and Fantastic Four both came out the same day. Oh, both both right. December 4th.
0: Release-wise, they do.
1: And then Better Build Bill and Silver Surfer came out 12-11. Right. And then... Uh, an- Ananias and Scourge Omega comes out 12-18. Right. So I don't know it's all going to happen in that short amount of periods, Right. Not very long, like a couple no. of weeks.
0: Yeah, like every two weeks we get a set of books to wrap up the entire story. So it comes out really fast, but reader-wise, I, I can't be 100% sure that every piece is a chapter, but I feel like it's going to be like, this is how Battery Bill gets to the party. And we haven't seen Battery Bill since he was flung out in the Guardians of the Galaxy. And, like, Surfer, we haven't seen him since in the black, and in the black, he's still out in the cosmos somewhere. So I think all these books are going to be bringing them back together into the normal universe, I guess. Um, but, yeah, as a thing, they're numbered aggravatingly because they are all number ones. Even is a number one, and it's clearly part two of this story. So that part's annoying. But other than that, at least the first issue is really cool. Uh, you got a score for that book there, Josh? You know, uh,
1: again, another one that I'm, like, kind of discouraged on the art. Like, I wasn't a big fan of the art on this one. Again, it was kind of soft and, like, messy.
0: So, well, there's a lot happening in every one of the panels. Like, battle-wise, we get a lot of explosions and, like, cut off parts of other aliens so there's a, a awful lot happening in every panel. Like, it's it's definitely a battle book, and it is full of, like, crazy death and destruction and fire. So there's a lot happening in, like, every single panel. Even the Revengers panel is, like, kind of full of crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I give it a three and a half. Like, I like, I like stories like this. I like the cosmic stuff, so... But I give it a three and a half, but um, we'll see where it
0: goes. Right. And we have, artist-wise, there's two different artists on it. And, like... As a thing, the, uh, the, uh, part at the end with, with, with Ryder and Cosmo. We haven't seen Cosmo in a minute either. And for those of you who don't know who Cosmo is, he's the Russian space dog that has basically Professor X mind powers. Um, so, he's awesome. Uh, as far as a, a thing, this, the book was written by Matthew Rosenbaum. So he's the guy that wrote it. Uh, or Rosen, it's Rosenberg? Rosenberg is the guy that wrote it. And, uh, And it's Juan Ramirez and uh, Kane Tormi, I think is how you say his last name, that did the art. So there's two different batches of art through the book, I mean, which I guess makes sense because you change scenery altogether. Um, As far as the score, I mean, yeah, I give it the same thing, three and a half. I was pretty happy with it. I like the original Annihilation War. This is a different flavor, but, like, all this stuff we're seeing, like, the whole... The Revengers, like, I didn't expect that. That's crazy. And I do dig Battery Bill a lot, so... Because we're going to get some Battery Bill out of it, I think that's awesome. Um, as far as, like, his setup for the rest of it, we haven't seen Cosmo in a long time. The writer pops in and out of things, but he's another one we don't get a lot. And, like, he's like the bad boy of the, of the Nova Corps, which is what's cool about him being the one that's alive. So that whole thing with him and the and the dog and at the bar is hilarious.
1: It is, but it's like, at one point he's pulling his helmet on and like it looks like it's cloth. And it's like, the Nova helmets aren't cloth. I don't care like what like the beings are made out of and what their energy is. It's like, they're a full-on helmet. The helmet's like the most important part, and that doesn't make any sense to me. So it's like, there's some weird little things like that that I'm like,
0: uh... I remember at one point there was a storyline where they made it seem like the helmet could be stored and it could change... I don't remember what book that was in though, because whenever we see Sam Alexander's Nova helmet, it full-on raids like a football helmet. Like there's no changing to it.
1: Well, because he has a black Nova helmet,
0: right? I don't, but I don't think that's the reason why that is. Because even when Captain America got the helmet for a little bit, it was like a full-on sitting helmet. So the, there's a piece in there somewhere that I don't know that has something to do with that. Because I remember seeing a book where that happens. I but just I don't. Know I feel why. like it's just
1: like, yeah. I mean, it looks like a rag that he's pulling on top of his head.
0: Right. Yeah, and as a thing, I'd have to—I guess I'd have to ask Rob. He's read more Nova than I have, but I feel like that was a thing that happened in a Nova book, and I don't remember exactly how that was. But I feel like it was—it had something to do with the way the helmet didn't have to be like a helmet all the time, which seems questionable. But when you think about it being like Green Lantern, I guess it's kind of the same idea. But the rings are always a ring, whether you have your suit or not, so I don't know. I think that's a thing, but I'd have to ask somebody else to make sure about that. Anyway. But yeah, uh, as a thing, did I get a score? Yeah. Okay. Dug it, though. I'm super stoked for a battery bill, because we don't ever get battery bill stuff. So, I think that'll be awesome. Uh, Alright, want to move on to our, our last book, the uh, Harley Quinn number uh, 67. And this issue is... a. Uh, Written by Sam Humphries, and uh, it's got a slew of artists on it too: Sammy ba- Barry, Dan Jurgens—I mean, old school Dan Jurgens, Death Suit Man, Dan Jurgens, uh, Norman Rappapard, Aaron—I don't know how to say his last name either—Laprosti, Matt Ryan, Tom Deckers, Trevor Scott. So there's a whole handful of artists on this issue. Um, this is it, where it picks up at the very beginning. This one's kind of the one that's got a holiday theme to it. The variant cover is actually a Frank Cho cover that Straight Ups has uh, Harley dressed as a pilgrim about to serve turkey to her hyenas using a chainsaw. It's an awesome picture. If you, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, just look at Frank Cho on Instagram. Like They do post covers as he puts them out. It's awesome. And it's a great cover. Uh, anyway, so the, picture, the story starts out with Harley walking up to this house, and she's singing a song to herself about Thanksgiving and how she's having it in Florida and... That her whole inner monologue is going on, and she does that fourth wall break thing, like Deadpool and like Windpool and talks to the reader of the book while she's doing things, and she's basically talking to herself about how after her mother's funeral, which recently, in a batch of books, I do in the last probably four issues, we had Harley's mom pass away. And she's decided that in order to deal with that, she wants to go have Thanksgiving with what's left of her family. And so she's gone to visit her father. And that's basically where the book starts out. Like She walks into the house, knocks on the door, and an old man answers the door. And he's like, oh, what are you you doing here, Harley? Is something wrong? She's like, hmm, is the only time to come around when there's problems? He's like, well, basically. And then from there, we cut to the interior of a comic book. Where we have classic Harley Quinn, like straight-up clown suit Harley Quinn, like classic Harley Quinn, falling through reality with Booster Gold. And she tells Booster Gold how she wants to stop all the crossovers in comic books. And in order to do that, they have to go back to the very first crossover, which would be Original Crisis. And so she's hijacked him to use his time travel devices to force him to take her there so she can try to stop the Original Crisis on Infinite Earths and stop all these uh, crossover stories from happening. But initially, where we land is not quite there. We wind up landing... Um, in a different crisis. Uh, and in this particular crisis, we are at the funeral for Martian Manhunter. And when she shows up, of course, you know, Batman, Superman, and the gang are all like, hey, what are you doing here? Are they Quinn? And there's two Booster Golds, because regular Booster Gold's there. And, uh, of course, initially they think she's just there to cause problems, and she starts yelling at them about how everything they do is causing these giant crossovers and books on top of books on top of books on top of books, and she has to stop it. And, don't you realize that once we get to the next two issues, the Dark Side is going to take over the world? And all of them are like, "Oh no, Dark Side! What?" And like for her, it's like the world's a comic book in this particular version of the book. And uh, Batman basically starts shaming her for, a, "Oh, I can't believe you sunk so low to show up at a funeral like this." And she's like, "Oh, you're gonna be real worried in a couple of days, and Dark Side shows up and kills your arse." And everyone's like, Dar- "What?" And so like for Batman, that chairs it right there, and he kind of comes after her. But there, it's all things that happened in in Final Crisis. So the book she landed in is Final Crisis from two, 2008, which is Grant Morrison Final Crisis. Anyway, so next page we cut to Harley's father sitting in his house in his chair reading the comic book we were just reading. And she's in the bathroom talking about how the house is a mess and she really wants Dad to put on Thanksgiving and he's like, I don't think without your mom I can do that. And we have a point where she's in the bathroom like... Looking at the, looking at the room, and she sees there's two toothbrushes inside the, like, toothbrush well. One that's blue and one that's pink. And, like, her own monologue inside is that dad's still waiting for mom to come home. And, like, it's pretty, it's a heavy one depending on who you are. Because, like, most of the time, Harley's yuck yuck jokes everywhere. And that part's definitely not. Anyway, we go out to the living room, and dad's sitting there looking at his phone, and Harley's trying to convince him that, oh, Thanksgiving is what's going to save us, make everybody feel better, and make me feel better. And we wind up finding out what well, he's looking at on his phone is a picture of his wife. And uh, she tells him, well, if I can get our brothers to help do something, then uh, we'll have Thanksgiving. And he's like, well, I guess you're giving help. And they both have a, a laugh about that, because both her three brothers, which. I'm not exactly sure when they showed up as a thing, because I don't know enough to know that. But apparently all three of the brothers are very chaotic, like her, sort of. Uh, anyway, so she tells Dad, well, if I can convince him to do it with us, then we're going to ha- get a booth at the local diner, and we'll have a Thanksgiving day cr- dinner at basically a Denny's, is what it is. So we come from there to join her on her first quest to recruit the oldest brother. And the oldest brother is down at the... Uh, Dud's Dud's Shred Shed, which is a bar, and he is a lead singer in a metal band and full-on eye makeup, like, straight-up Kiss style. And they're performing, and behind them is a banner with Mom's face and, like, giant wings around it, like a memorial-type thing. And when Harley finally, like, gets to talk to him, she's like, really? Is, like, you got Mom's face behind your band? And he's like, oh, yeah, everybody thinks that there's like, a legend. I figured it was what Mom would want, you know, get her face in front of the crowd, and it's like a whole thing for him. And uh, then he winds up telling her how he's got a tattoo on his back, which is also crazy, because it's a tattoo of Mom. And Harley's like, oh my gosh, you're just like, you're really out there. And this is coming from Harley Quinn. I mean, that's saying something, I guess. Well, she tells him that she wants to have Thanksgiving dinner, and he tells her, oh, I have band rehearsal, and she's like, for the holidays? You can't... If you can make time, you should really come. This is when we're going to be doing it. I'm going to go see the other boys. And so she basically leaves him there with him being like, yep, if I can make time. And off she goes. From there, we jump to another time travel. And now we are joining a Harley, still classic clown suit, fighting another Harley with, like, mech arms, a crazy, like, dread hair. And they're surrounded with images of, uh, the beginning of the 2005 crisis. So we're, like, in that... Pocket Dimension Outside Reality, which if you never read that story, that won't mean anything to you, but it's basically a giant crystal room that has images of our current continuity at the time it was happening. And, uh, in the process of them battling, Alexander Luther, who's the Lex Luthor from Earth-3, where he was the only hero, has a straight-up orange afro gold suit, um, stops Harley from fighting Harley, and, uh tries to convince her to join his side, and of course she tells him, no, that's just going to lead to more crossover books. And we start hearing this giant thrum, 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 which we've been hearing since this section started. We find out what it is. It's Superman from Earth-1 punching the inside of the pocket, trying to crack it open to get into the regular world. And in these stories, when it first started, the only reason Superman joined Lex and decided it was a good idea to try to come to our reality was to save Lois Lane. So Lois Lane from Earth-1 was aging rapidly because Earth-1 was the 50s and people still aged. So she's dying, and well, he's Superman, so he doesn't age the same way. And the only way to save her is to get her into a regular reality where she won't be aging the same way, and bring back Earth-1, where they never aged. And she is trying to convince him to stop, because, you know, that just results in more comics and more crossovers and more event books. And of course, he, th- he thinks she's nuts. And about that time, we see Superboy Prime pipe up from behind. He's like, "Oh, this sounds like a great idea—punching a hole in reality. We might be able to save Batman's parents, and they'll come back as vampires. It'll be amazing." And like Superboy Prime, he's the one that killed a whole handful of superheroes whenever he was used to rip the reality open and relaunch the multiverse. Um, so it's another crazy big event that in D.C. history is a major thing. So next page, we cut from there to Harley standing in the street with a boy on a bike throwing rocks through windows. The boy, not Harley. Uh, We find out this is one of her brothers, and uh, she makes him stop, and he tells her, you know what, if you want to talk to me, you're just going to have to help me throw rocks through windows. And she's like, this is causing huge amounts of property damage. He says, yep, but tomorrow they'll be fixed. It's really weird. Like, I ride around, break windows, go hang out at the gas station hang out in my friend's basement, and then the next day these windows are all fixed. Because it's a comic book. And that's kind of how reality works for her right now. Uh, Anyway, so in order to try to convince the brother to come with her to family Thanksgiving, she (laughs) begins throwing rocks through windows with him. And, like, during the dialogue, we get a whole lot of, uh, interpersonal things with the two of them, and at the end of it he tells tells her he's old enough to know Mom's dead. And, uh, she can't fix everything. And the whole reason Harley's doing of this is she's trying to fix herself. But he tells her where the other brother is, and he's been working on robots. So the two younger brothers, one's like a brainy, and the other one's like, I don't know, a vandal kid. Um, so she goes and meets the other brother. He's in a uh, one of the labs at the school, doing a science project, basically building a robot for BotCon. And she tries to convince him to come, and in that it turns into an argument. He's the one that says, you're not mom. At that point, she has, like, a come-to-realization moment where she realizes that she's trying to fix herself and using them to hopefully do it. But, of course, it makes her unhappy, and as she leaves, she tells him when dinner's going to be, so be there or don't be there. And as she storms out the building, she yells, it's frack. And we cut directly from there to other Harley in the clown suit, landing on a rock asteroid in space, also yelling the word frack. And, uh, of course, Booster Gold's with her, and we wind up finding out that we are now finally at the original crisis, um, and the antimonitor's out there absorbing energy, being shot by all the Justice League. And she pulls out her, 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 hammer. And, uh, Booster Gold's like, no, you can't do this. If you do this, it's gonna, in reality, you're gonna destroy everything. And she's like, nope, I'm gonna make the heroes lose. Cause if they lose, it'll stop crossover books from happening. Which I guess kinda makes sense. Kinda. In the comic world. Um, and as she's getting ready to wind up and hit Dr. Light, who, in the, in the original comic book, Dr. Light's the one that shoots... is the last person to fire on the antimonitor that caused him to be defeated. Um, anyway. So she's getting ready to wind up and knock her out. And uh, Booster's like, no, you can't do that. Like, don't you understand that crossover events are what bring all these heroes together. Without the crossover events, they never get to be better than they are by themselves. And so the exact same thing that she's been looking for at home with her family is what the crossover events cause for the heroes in the comic books. And it finally dawns on her that what she's trying to get at home in the comic book world, that's exactly what these things are for. Because without the big event books, we never get to see these characters paired with each other. And we never get to see them be better with each other. So, I mean, hate crossovers all you want, but there's a lot of stories we've never got without them. So, that part's interesting. Anyhow, so she winds up and she winds up hitting... Dr. Light in the, in the butt, causing her to blast her beam into the uh, anti-monitor, and, and she's like, oh, with that extra bump in my butt, um, I was able to shoot the beam power for her. So ultimately, Harley Quinn saves the universe. That's what the whole point of that is. And we get a flash to a Thanksgiving Day picture that is in the comic book Harley's reading, and it's her at the dinner table with Booster Gold, Batman, Superman, Shazam, original Firestorm, Wally West, Flash, Power Girl, Hawkman, there's a whole slew of Jade, a whole slew of them all sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner, and that's where the book ends. And we join Harley in real comic book reality, sitting at Mandy's Diner, and she has a Thanksgiving dinner there, waiting with plates and drinks, and she's by herself. And then she realizes that nobody else is coming, and that the only time you get happy endings is in comics. And that leads her to hijack a bus so she can get a ride to, um, out of town, because she decides she's going to try to spend Christmas in f- California. So I imagine our next issue is going to be dealing with Christmas, and we'll see if it has a happier ending. And that's kind of where it wraps. Um, she full on has like a Quaker hat on too, and she hijacks the bus. It's pretty funny. Uh, as far as art, there's a uh, there's so many artists in this book, and like Dan Jorgens is drawing part of the stuff during the stuff he drew during Crisis, original. So, like, that's really awesome because of who is working on the different time frames. Uh, not all the other guys are classic artists, so depending what you like in comic books, the art sways pretty heavily between the present and the past. Uh, as far as the story, I don't know, man. Like, I liked it a lot, and I don't know if it's just because of the time of the year that it is, or because of how it. There's a different twist in there that I didn't expect from a Harley Quinn book. And, like, during this whole storyline, dealing with her mom and cancer and all that, there's been handfuls of that in the books, too. And it's not that the other stuff isn't awesome. I mean, the Amanda Connor Jimmy Palmiotti yuck, yuck, joke, fun stuff is awesome. But it gives you a different flavor of things that are happening. So, I don't know. I like that a lot. Maybe it's because of SAP, because it's possible. But read-wise, I don't know. I went through and read parts of it a couple different times. So, I mean, i give it, I give it a four. I was pretty happy with it. I think the artist doing the present is fantastic. Again, the flashes to the other time frames are different artists for the sake of what's happening, and for the purpose of what's happening. I did think it was funny to get to see uh, Superboy Prime again, and how silly he was. Superboy Prime, for those of you who don't know that, is also from the uh, Earth-1, and he was a Superboy that never aged. And when the reality is... Oh, no, he's from the Prime Earth. Is it Earth Prime? Earth Prime, sorry. Earth Prime. And in his Earth, he was never not Superboy, reality-wise. And when Infinite Crisis, never happened, and we made one reality, we did away with a bunch of those 50s characters because it didn't fit in a moving continuity. Hence why him and Superman, Earth-1, and Lois and all that stopped being a thing. But in the crisis where he comes back... He's gone so crazy living outside reality and he's so pissed that our reality has grey and people do bad things even to good people, and good guys do bad things that he decided to kill everything. And it's pretty like it's a great story. If you never read it, you really probably should. But it was it was just funny to see him in a like yuck yuck kind of way. Uh anyway, yeah, I give it a four. That's 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 all I got. Uh Josh, did you have any opinions on that book? I'll
1: give it a three. I'm you know, like I like the Dan Jurgen stuff. I like the I like the holiday family esqueness to it, but like I'm just I to me I like Carly Quinn again is just overplayed. She's all over the place. It's just I feel like how she, I feel about Gwenpool, which is like I feel like she's almost a gimmick and it's like Whatever. I mean, it's cool. Like, some people love her, some people hate her. I just... I'm just indifferent about her. And I just think she's just overused. And I... that it frustrates me. Like, someone who just, like, at one point was, like, the Joker's girlfriend has become such a major, like, mainstream, like, character. is just kind of, like... something I just don't... I, don't, I mean... I mean eh, whatever. Like, it's kind of... it's... it... I don't know. I think that if your daughter was, like... I mean... They kind of, they don't ever straight out say that she is, but she's kind of a mass murderer. She has been, yes. So it's just like, and he's like, "What are you doing home? Your mom died. Her mom probably died because she's a mass murderer and like gave her heart attack. Like, you know, like like why do you care about Thanksgiving when you like you don't care about anybody else? It's like."
0: She's, she's she's had that turn in, in all of villains' lives that become good guys, where mm. now they want to be better. It doesn't matter. They gave a school bus full of kids exploding Nintendos. Because we don't talk about that.
1: Yeah, see, like, that <laughs> that, that it bugs me. Like, it's just oh, yeah. like you can't... I don't know, like, like, there's no true villains anymore.
0: Well, I mean, there's still a few, but... But know.
1: there's not. Like, they're either... Like, they're anti-heroes now. Like, they're not proper villains. There's no, like, proper villains, like... That's what that bugged me about the Joker movie. It's just like you're trying to humanize somebody who's just like a proper villain. Like right. he doesn't care about anybody.
0: At least in the comic books, he's still he's still a legitimately a villain.
1: But even in the in the movies, he's yeah, they up and to a point. And now they're trying to like you're trying to humanize somebody who's just pure evil and pure chaos. And just like let there just be pure evil villains. Like just let him be. And I know that like there's there's like. The you know, the poison Ivy and Harley and they're together and then like sometimes they're with like the birds of prey, sometimes they're versus them, sometimes they're with them. It's like whatever, but no. <laughs> no. It's like like every once in a while the Joker teams up with Batman and they're kinda friends and the, No. That, that would never happen.
0: No, yeah. Like
1: Batman somewhere. does it takes everything in Batman's like moral spirit to not just literally rip out the Joker's voice box and murder him. Like, he's like, I can't murder anybody. That's the one thing that he's always had. Like, him and Superman both are just like, we don't kill. And that's was what they do. And it's just like, it'd be so much easier just to pull it, put a bullet in somebody that evil's head. Sure. And they don't. Because, like, that that's what sets them apart. But it's like, in this, it's like, well, you're still pretty evil. But whatever. Well, like,
0: she's, she's gotten better. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, I, it's I agree. It's like, cool. I,
1: I murdered a thousand people, <laughs> but I've gotten better since then. <laughs> And so that's that's what bugs me about these anti-hero I mean, we books. We don't like, know
0: how many kids on the bus died, but it was pretty dark. Like just
1: write a villain and like leave them a
0: villain. But then they can't have their own book. Because they, they can though. No, because people people want to say they want a movie about a bad guy, but they don't really want a bad guy to win. Even when they do villain books, like Saber to the Gods book for a yeah. while. By the end of that, in order to keep it going, they kind of made him a good guy.
1: There you go. That's Venom, the-
0: Venom, also now kind of a good guy. I guess the only one that's still not is Carnage. And Carnage did get a miniseries, but it also connected to Venom and Spider-Man and the Heroes and there are Spider-Man and Venom's son-brother, Normie Osborne. So, like, it's, the, the story itself, it, if it was just a Carnage story, I don't think it would have lasted more than it did. It's awesome. It's a really good miniseries. Absolute Carnage, you definitely should read it. It's great. But as a thing villains can't hold their own series is when they're bad guys because it's too hard write for a bad guy and people don't really want that not really they say they do but they don't really want that anyhow um, well as far as show stuff I guess the only thing left really is uh, well what would you learn today Josh
1: mm-hmm. I don't like anti-hero like nonsense
0: you don't like anti-hero you don't like bad guys that went good because it's two different things because like the hero is the punisher he was never really a bad guy but he's not really a good guy
1: see I mean, see that's the original antihero but then yeah. like but now you have all these villains who are like kind of good sometimes just to sell books which that they're still putting in the antihero category
0: I mean they do fall there yeah but hating antiheroes in general then you have hey Jason Todd which I mean maybe you do I do yeah I hate the Punisher I do which, I guess you do venom uh, yeah, man, Bizarro.
1: Bizarro's not an anti-hero. Uh,
0: he's kind of a bad guy.
1: He's a full-on bad guy, and no. he's like he, he's the exact opposite of Superman. But he's also like he's done good speci- too. He's also special needs and doesn't know better.
0: That's true. So that's so different. He, so he that's has, different. He has his own category. Okay, that's different. Okay. All right, his own category. I, I can give you that because I like Bizarro. So, but he does fall on that other spectrum. He could be misled, but it's because he's simple. Yeah, huh, all right. Uh, what did I learn today? You don't learn
1: anything. Like It's you just, not true. The only thing that you learn is that, like, you just, whenever I try and teach you something, you just, like, quit listening. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what you learn. You're like, oh, Josh's talking. Time time to, time, to quit listening. Pretty
0: sure I know that already. You're so. like, you
1: have one of those old man, like, ear horn things that you like. you like, oh, what's that you're saying? And then, like, you just turn it off. <laughs> I don't know. If you're, just take it out of your ear.
0: Take it out all the way, for sure. Uh do you have any books to watch, Josh?
1: Teenage Meet Ninja Trolls number one hundred. Um, the IDW series is coming out and they're doing a really cool like um, montage of all one hundred ish like issues will be behind like the actual issue, which would be kind of cool. They're doing some sort of like team up with Stan Sakai and Eastman We're doing something together where they're both doing a cover for each other. I'm not sure if they're gonna be on their own you know, I a lot of artists are doing uh, their own yeah, website yeah. issues right. now, like creator own stuff, but since Usagi's on IEW now. I'm sure like I'm sure it'll probably be through there.
0: Chances are there's probably a, a variant for each cover, or for each uh, Turtles with Stan and Usagi uh, with Eastman. That would make sense. Right. But other than that, man. Cool. Uh, well, we did have a whole bunch of Marvel stuff restart. We're getting ready to have a new Thor. We're going to have... We just had a new Deadpool come out. Other than the cover, I, I flipped through it a tiny bit, but I have read it, but the cover was great. It's Deadpool with a crown on a, on a throne. It's awesome. Other than that, I mean, book wise, I feel like we mentioned a bunch last week, and I mean, I still dig Middle West. It's getting ready to come to, I think, an end. It's this a Young book. It's been awesome. As far as uh, other series is coming out, I guess, yeah, there's there's a couple that come out from a a smaller company. I want to say they're it's not a claim, maybe Activision. I can't remember what the name of the place is, but they have a book called Void Walker, and uh, it, for being a book newsprint books they it's awesome. Like, the first issue was great. So, I don't know, check them out, I guess, if you get a chance. Void Walker's the name of the issue, so... Let's take a look at that. We finally had White Widow issue 3 come out, so that's cool. I still dig that. It's still very 80s-esque, but I like it. And the newest issue, Catwoman, has a really cool... really cool cover. It's got, like, the Harley cover has a dual cover on it, the... the plastic cover on the front, and the interior cover is different. That one has a swap for her costume, and the new costume swap is like a classic reimagining, and it looks awesome. So I dig the cover a lot.
1: Frank Cho is talking about, I think he's finally going to get control of um, Liberty Meadows back.
0: Yeah, the contract. So I, I talked to him in Denver Yeah, a couple years ago so last he's year. Like,
1: he's been like kind of hinting at like some, some big things happening with that. That's cool. And he's kind of been releasing a little bit of art of that periodically cool on his uh,
0: Instagram. From going from a comic strip to a book to like the thing it is now, it's awesome. If you, if, that's another thing if you guys haven't ever checked out Liberty Meadows, definitely worth a read. It's awesome.
1: But um, in action figure news, Acid Rain is like a really cool like second party action figure company. They're really amazing. They do like one eighteenth style like GI Joe style um, size figures like that four inch. Um, they finally released the amazing Sophie figure who he's been Kit, Kit Lau is his name, and he like, he's released, releases art on his Instagram and his Facebook of these characters that he designs and like prototypes that he does himself. He basically he hand makes these himself and then try, and then he figures out how the factory can make them with, what, like, with cloth capes and cloth. Um, hoods and the fi- the the weapons and the faces and everything like in, it's a pretty incredible company. But Sophie's been this rumored figure like character in that universe for a long time, and it finally got released. And uh, she's pretty cool. Um, I got it and uh, did like a walkthrough on it. And she's I don't want to take the head off and take the, the the cloak off because I don't think I could get it back because it's on oh. there. So, it's on there so cool.
0: Yeah, you were showing me the other day and like the way it's wrapped around her. I, yeah, I don't know if you. If anybody be able to put it back right,
1: I know, but um with the backpack and the cloak wrapping around, but like I mean detail wise, it's done very well. And uh, so if you haven't heard of Acid Rain, check that out. But um, there's a bunch of other cool. The secondary like action figure market is be, kind of becoming the norm now, like um, with Boss Fight and Marauder Task Force and. There's a new one that just started, like they do a bunch of like uh, modern style military figures. That's really cool, but man, there's it's they're all you're You're gonna pay like a, a higher price just because they're, they're there's not, there's more like, premium figures. They're so more premium, but they're less of them made. Right, they're not, they're not like a, a massive amount. But even at the end of the GI Joe line, like you're paying fifteen dollars a figure. Right, and so I mean, I mean which is comparatively to a like, a, the DC figures or, like, the, um, the Marvel Legends, the seven-inch, like, six-and-a-half-inch figures or whatever, like, those are 20. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, like, twice the size and twice the plastic, but you're still paying that much money. So there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of cool, like, Boss Fight, like, has another wave coming out soon of the their, um, their fantasy series. They have, like, an Elven Queen a couple of like, like Boss Fight Studios. And Boss Fight took over, um, there was a, there's a company called Zombie Lab, that did a kickstarter to get all their stuff out but they had they, they were just having tons of problems so boss fight kind of took over from them and I'm like hey just let us do this thing for you and we'll work with you and so they did their initial they filled all their kickstarter like, pri- mm- like orders and stuff yeah mm-hmm. but then like boss fight's kind of like let us help you with this and everybody's kind of going like cuz boss fight like created a new like the the way the figures work they kind of found this niche. And so like everybody's kind of following suit with them and like, Hey, these guys know what they're doing. And, uh, they've just helped a ton of people out just because like, they're over there working in the factories in China, like with the prototype figures coming out and things like that. And like helping other like Marauder task force and a couple others and just be like, Hey, this isn't working. Like, let us help you because you're doing the same almost mold as we are. Let's just like team up together. And so like, it's, it's pretty neat what they're doing. Um, it's people who just genuinely love action figures and there just really isn't a lot of, mainstream stuff come like the mainstream action figure is line is kind of dead
0: for three and three quarters for sure i mean but, star wars still has theirs and occasionally you get a winner but they're not like the work that goes into these guys is just far more detailed
1: the star wars is the last one yeah it, is. it really is it's like it's the last thing and even them are kind of weak now yeah and uh like maybe the new snake eyes movie coming out will like kind of jumpstart g.i. joe a little hopefully. bit hopefully but like even then kids just don't play with figures anymore like they just don't like. There's not a lot. Of, I mean, I'm sure some kids do, sure, but kids are still attached to their phones and their and the video games and TV and this and that and like, like, like my nephew was sitting there watching somebody like open a toy on on social media, and I was like, "Why are you watching?" that? like, oh, I like watching them open things." I'm like, "But we could just go buy the. Let's go to Walmart and get it." Like I saw that earlier today. I was there. And he's like, ah, "I just want to watch him open it." It's just so bizarre to me. Like they just, yeah. they, like the the hands-on just doesn't exist anymore. And it's kind of the, the scary thing with comic books too. It's just like, I don't care if I buy a comic book for a kid and they just like trash it and they just read the crap out of it and they just like their hands all over it and they bend it and they just, whatever. Sure. At least they're reading. At least right. they're touching. At least they're getting the feel of it. Like, you know, like I have books from when I was like 10 years old that aren't in great condition because I read it so many times right. that it just, it just kind of fell apart. And that's fine with me because they're at least reading comic books. Right. And that's just like that. That's just such a dying thing, unfortunately, because like the digital media is just it's destroying so much stuff. Right. And it's it's not just comic books. Like my my true love is action figures. You know that. Right. Like I'm always up on the new action figure thing. But like but even with comics, it's just like it's just even books like actual book like books like like my mom is a preschool teacher and kids don't know how to turn pages in books anymore because like. They just—they're used to swiping with their finger, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's scary. It's that's a scary, very right. scary thing. So it's just like there's people like us who the feel the touch like right. that, thats going away. So we need to do everything we can, and so like that frustration. We just need to be like more patient with people and just be like, hey, check this out, check this out, because you're if even if one in hundred, we get that's one,
0: right? Uh, that's part of when we do like the trivia and stuff at the theaters. That's why we give away comics for the prizes, because even if it's someone who's never held them before, then at least you get that chance. So, yeah,
1: it's just like going to the movie theater, right? It's like that's that that's, that's slow. also
0: dying a little bit.
1: And it's it's there's things that just like it's it's the event. It's like like one of the main things that you, we used to argue about is like I order things off the internet, and just because I wanted them, like I, I was like I want this figure regardless, like it doesn't matter. So it just be easy for me to order it off of a oh like some sort of web store. Right. But the thrill of the hunt for you is like, what it was about? Like going to like all these different places and looking for it. And it's, I understand that like, you know, the chain stores just don't get again. I mean, I probably, like I've probably added to the death of a lot of these things because like, you know, Amaz- mm. Amazon, you can get anything on Amazon anytime. But it's just like, you know, targets like, well, we're just going to cut, we're going to cut our, our toy, our toy section down because right. it's like, kids don't buy toys anymore.
0: Yeah, it's not the same thing anymore that it was, which is unfortunate. But, yeah, if you want the one the one particular figure that's one per case, that's the only real way to do it. Because there's some, still some people that hunt out there, but it's uh, it's a different thing. And if you've never had to do it that way, well...
1: I also got tired of, like, fighting the, the scalpers. You know, just like...
0: Yeah, that's another rough part about that.
1: Because there were... There oh, were yeah, those, for sure. But,
0: anyway. Alright. Uh, to Key... The key? Yeah, she definitely is trying to.